welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Glad that you are with us um, on this, this Sunday. It's a bit warm outside, so we have the back door closed. Summer's trying to make a comeback. It does that in September in Texas. It just kind of pretends like it's going away for a few days. Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday were beautiful. And then the heat comes back. But um, it's all right. It's all right. We're going to be victorious over that. And um, yeah, and so we're going to conquer that. Uh, if you're new today, uh, at the seat where you sat down, there's a card. It's, it says connection card. If you would fill that out or scan it with your phone and fill out the online version if you like, that would be awesome. Um, we have some red boxes on the walls right there that you can drop them off in as you leave. Um, you can also drop off your any giving. If you're old school and you have checks or cash and you want to drop, drop that off in the locked red boxes right there, um, you, can, you can do that. Um, but let's continue worship through giving. Uh, most of us give via our phone, so whip out your, your cell phone and text any amount to this number right here, 84321, and um, that'll set up a giving uh, portal for you. And you select, you select City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, seven zeros. Yeah, well, you got to start with a number. You can add zeros after that, but some, some number is going to be necessary for that to be very beneficial. But um, yes, uh, if you're watching from home or you're here in the house, we're thankful for, uh, we have people giving who've never been in the house. We have people giving faithfully that I've never even met. So that's interesting. Welcome welcome to COVID-19 pandemic. It's kind of it's kind of interesting. So uh, we have folks obviously giving from long distance who watch us from long distance, but even people here, I guess they're in Texas. I don't know. But um, anyway, we're glad that you're with us from your living room, from your car, wherever you're at, from your bedroom. Um, and then everybody that's here in the room, we're glad that you're here. And uh, man, God's doing some, doing some great things. But while you have your cell phone out, whether you're watching online, uh, Carol is watching from home today. Whether you're watching, hi, Carol. Whether you're watching from home, I think uh, Bowser's are also. Um, John, John's recovering, so John, that's awesome. Anyway, I could name everybody, but if you're watching from home or you're here in person, let's, let's all check in on Facebook, all right? So uh, we were with a company called Causely, and uh, what we're doing is for every 10 check-ins, we get uh, to supply one day of school for a child in need in Haiti. And so last week, we started this, this challenge, and so we've provided as a church two days of school. We had 20 check-ins last Sunday. So um, you can check in. You can take a picture. You can also tag other people. They can as as a check-in if you want to tag JT and Alma that's that's all right to tag then just you know you just go ahead and just uh it's kind of we, we used to have people back when we first started remember Cheryl would just tag everybody and their mother like people we I didn't even know maybe she made them up I don't know like they're <laughs> I don't know if they're still living but anyway they got they got tagged as as attending and what, what this does it does a couple things one it helps us um supply some some school days for kids in Haiti uh, but also it it helps promote City Chapel. So everybody who's sitting at home right now, not a part of a church, um, they don't have a church to go to. They're going to see what church you go to, and uh, they're going to see your lovely smiling faces or whatever picture you chose to take, and uh, they're going to say, "Hey, maybe I should check out that church next Sunday." So um, that's that's kind of our way of marketing. Instead of paying for marketing on Facebook, we um, pay these guys. They do uh, toward a good cause. 
then you guys mark it for us. That's how, that's how that happens. A couple announcements for you today. Um, we have a family camp coming up on October 8th. So um, we didn't have anybody text last week. So I don't know if anybody's going to be a part of this family camp or not. I know some people have told Roe that they want to come, but they also do not have tents. So um, <laughs> you, need to, you need to purchase a tent or an RV. And they're not expensive. Get, get, get yourself a blow-up mattress. Do yourself a favor. Get a blow-up mattress. Don't sleep on the, on the grass, on the ground. Like, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, waterbed maybe. I don't know. Whatever you want. Find you something, like, to help support your back. And uh, anyway, we're going to have a little family outing just, just Friday during the day, Friday night out in uh, Driftwood. And, um, yeah, we're just going to get together as a church and spend the day Saturday and have fun doing that. Um, this Friday, uh, we have kind of an impromptu movie night uh, at, uh, at Bailey and, and Ryan's apartment complex. So um, it's actually going to be kind of warm, which is cool because it's going to be at the pool. We're going to set up an outdoor movie like usual and going to be at their pool, and you all are invited. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a time for the church family to get together, but it's also an outreach um, because they're going to invite their entire apartment complex. And so anyway, you're going to see people that you don't know, and that's a chance for you to talk to them, all right, and get to know them, and maybe get a chance to share about Jesus, maybe not, maybe just invite them to church, I don't know, don't be, don't be crazy, don't try to baptize people in the pool yet, like, let's not, let's not go there just yet, but it, literally just getting out into the community, getting to know people, so if you want to get to know us, our family will be there Friday uh, evening, uh, if you're interested in more information on that, I don't think we have a slide for that, but um, that'll be going out in our text text messaging. So the time and the, and, the, and the address and all that stuff will go if you're a part of our text messaging group, which if you're not, if you want to put up the welcome slide, this is how you can become a part of the text messaging group. You text, um, yeah, there you go. You, you text new to 512-960-1617 and we will get you into the text messaging group. Uh, that way you get text messages updated every single week and it's, and it's great. Cool. So family, family camp, movie night. I mean, we had a great volunteer training yesterday. Thanks to everybody who came out and and we had people join teams. Our teams are getting bigger. The kids ministry is excited about that. Hospitality is excited about that. A tech team is growing. So um, if you missed out on that, and if you're not serving anywhere on Sunday morning at City Chapel, um, that's all right. There's going to be other opportunities for you to get involved, um, as well as throughout the week, there are ways for you to get involved. So um, if you're interested in more, come see me after church. But otherwise, just wait for the next training day. We're going to do these about every quarter. And um, yeah, it's a good time to, to refresh everything that we need to learn and go over what we're doing and then invite new people in. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 John. We're going to jump into 1 John chapter 5. We're, we're stuck on a few verses in 1 John chapter 5. So the same verses that we've been reading the past two weeks, slide people, um, that's where we're going to be at. Uh, I believe starting, yeah, verse six um, through 12. Um, and we're talking about the three testimonies or the three witnesses that testify to Jesus, um, both in the time that he was here on the earth, but then also uh, in our lives today. And are those Micah's tennis shoes? Just hanging out? Those look like his shoes. That's, that's so weird. 
<laughs> I'm just preaching on some shoes. Um, if, anyway, if any kids lost their tennis shoes, it's on top of the baptistry. Um, just grab them. All right, verse 6. This is the one, speaking of Jesus, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. Uh, and it's the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. So if that's kind of, of a, if that's a bit of a confusing verse for you, go back and listen to the podcast or the recording video where I helped explain that. Because um, we're not going to explain that today. So verse 7, for there are three that testify. Now testify is a legal term, right? In a court of law, you got uh, testimonies to the character witness, right, of the defendant. There are three that testify. Uh, the Spirit the water and the blood and these three are in agreement we accept human testimony right if you have three witnesses that all saw the same thing all heard the same thing we accept that testimony as being true but god's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of god which he has given about his son whoever believes in the son of god accepts this testimony in other words much of first john is talking about he he's written this he says in order that we might believe that jesus is the son of god and now he's coming to the end of the book by the way i hate to break it to you but first john is coming to an end here in chapter five and uh yes really sad but we're gonna move on to something else it'll be awesome uh but he's coming to the end of the book and he says look the way that you can know the way that you can believe is everything that i've been writing about so far but ultimately he says look god has provided the uh, testimony he's provided these three witnesses and he says look whoever believes that jesus is the son of god that's because they have heard the testimony of these three witnesses and believed it whoever does not believe god has made himself that should be himself out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony that god has given about his son verse 11 this is the testimony that god has given and this is it god has given us eternal life that's the first part of the testimony that's good news and this life is found in his son that's the second part of the testimony whoever has the son the son of god has life whoever does not have the son of god does not have life and so we've been looking at these three witnesses um, in the courtroom of your life you are the judge god has given you the the judgment seat he's given you the 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 the, the, the cloak and the gavel and the little the little neck thingy i don't know what that is but he's given you the, the the place of judgment in your life now ultimately god is the ultimate judge of the whole the whole world but during your lifetime he's given you that seat he's allowed you to sit in the judgment seat of your life and make judgment calls about what is true and what is not true and we make these calls every day we make these judgments every single day we are we are we are deciding every single day what we are going to believe and what we're not going to believe what is true what is false and the enemy is the accuser he's the one who's always bringing up uh accusations right he's always uh speaking to us as the judge trying to get us to side with him trying to get us to agree with him so much of everything from Facebook to Instagram to TikTok to HBO to CNN to Fox is the enemy saying, look, look at my perspective. This is true. All right. You should be afraid. You should be fearful. You should be nervous. You should be scared. You should be sad. You should be. And, and so the enemy is always bringing exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C 
But we went, uh, in the, a few weeks ago, we went back to the book of Hebrews where it talks about Sarah, the husband of Abraham. And it says that she was a hero of the faith because she judged him. She judged God to be faithful. So the question is not whether or not you're gonna judge God. You are judging God. The question is whether or not you're judging him to be true or false. Whether you are acquitting God, if you will, because God is on the defendant seat of your life. And, and the enemy is accusing God of all kinds of atrocities, of not caring, of not being there, of not being in control, of not being all powerful, of not being worthy of worship, of all, of perhaps not even existing, right? Uh, the enemy is accusing God of all kinds of things. He's the prosecuting attorney and we are the judge and we have the power in our life to lay the gavel down in favor of Jesus. And guess what? When you, when, you, when you declare the defendant innocent, the defendant is released. The defendant goes free. And that's how we release the activity, the power of God in our life, is we side with him and we declare that he is faithful. We decide that he is true. We believe the witnesses that he's presented, okay? Because God's made some pretty crazy claims. Uh, the claims of Christianity are pretty extraordinary. That, that, that its founder is not only uh, the only way to heaven, but the creator of all things. Colossians says that Jesus holds all things together by the word of his power. This is some crazy claims that a man who people saw as human was more than just human. He was God and man at the same time. That he was able to walk on water, raise the dead, and even raise himself from the dead. The claims of Christianity are enormous along with the song of Moses that I just read during worship that all of the world will come and worship him despite all of the differences look around I mean there's a lot of differences going on we can't seem to agree on really anything and yet scripture says that at the end of the age all of the world will come and bow down before one king one savior one throne one spirit that they're all going to recognize his greatness now that's an extraordinary claim there's really not any other religion in the world that claims that. And yet Jesus lays out these claims and he hasn't left himself without some witnesses to back up his claims that he is the son of God and that as the son of God, he is worthy of worship and all the things we've been talking about. He's left us some character witness, some, 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 some testimony to help us believe. And the first one is the spirit, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago, that the first witness is the spirit. And this, by the way, is the first witness in your life, just in, in order of progression of how we come to know God that no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. So the way that you come to know God is the Holy Spirit starts stirring in your heart something. It starts stirring a desire, starts stirring a longing or an uneasiness or an unsettledness with the way that your life is. He convicts you of sin. He points out stuff that you never thought was wrong before, stuff you used to defend about yourself, things you used to be proud of, you now are ashamed of. This isn't natural. Most people, they just go on a particular path and they believe what they believe and they continue on that belief unless something radical changes in their life. Well, the Holy Spirit is that radical thing. It's not a tragedy. It's not uh, a, a virus, COVID-19. It's just the Holy Spirit. He comes into your life and he radically shapes and shifts and changes you. And so this is the first witness. He testifies that Jesus is powerful because look at what he does in our life. Look at how he speaks to us. Look at how he takes people, obstinate people, stubborn people, not, e not even gullible people. We're talking brilliant atheistic minds and changes them, right? The lead singer of Korn, he 
He wasn't a brilliant mind. But anyway, I mean, you know, he's brilliant in his own way, I guess. Uh, like, it's, it's, it's the kind of transformation that happens is proof that Jesus is more than just Muhammad. He's more than just Buddha. He's more than just a way. There's got to be something special about this Jesus because the Spirit is doing powerful things on the earth. You don't even have to go to the Welsh Revival, but if you want to, you can see the Spirit doing some amazing things down through history at Azusa Street in Brownsville, Texas in the mid-90s. God is in Toronto. God is doing some amazing things, and it's through His Spirit. So His Spirit stands up and testifies. He's testified during Jesus' life, right? We talked about that at his birth, through his ministry, at his death, after his ascension. The Spirit was testifying about who Jesus was. And so I'm thankful that I have heard the Spirit, felt the Spirit, and I believe the Spirit. I agree with the Spirit that Jesus is more than just a man. He is God, and he's God in my life. And then the next testimony, which was last Sunday's testimony, was the testimony of the water. And since I preached on that, the Davidsons had a lot of water episodes in their, in their house. Uh, leaking things, spilling the, like toilets and all kinds of ish, water issues. So I don't know if anyone else suffered from that, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It wasn't my fault. Don't blame it on the sermon. But the water does speak to us. And we talked about last week how the water testified to Jesus from his baptism to even in his death, right? The, 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 the centurion soldier stuck a spear into Jesus' side. And John says, John, the writer John, the same writer as 1 John, in his gospel, John points out that there was blood and water that flowed from his side. So the water is bearing witnesses, testifying that Jesus is who he says he is, and it testifies in our lives. Right through the waters of baptism, which we baptized a couple of people last Sunday, and actually there's a couple more of the one we baptized next Sunday. So, anyway, we're gonna be—they're gonna have to move those shoes. I don't know who they are, but they're gonna have to go, and we're gonna be baptizing some more people. Uh, which that's like—I don't know—five or so in the last six weeks or seven weeks. So. Kaylin really started something. Kaylin got something going, uh, which is awesome. It, it, but, but the water, it, bear, it testifies, it bears witness with the Spirit. It agrees with the Spirit. It says, yes, God is doing something in this person's life. Yes, God is. And then the water ultimately brings proof to your life. Right, it, 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 it brings, because water symbolizes purity and, clean, and cleansing. And so as you're washed in the water of the word, your life starts reflecting what the spirit has done inside, starts looking like it is on the outside, and that's proof to you, and it's encouraging to you, but it's also proof to other people. So much so that even our secular world is shocked when Christians do things that they shouldn't do. You know, they, I mean, let, 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 let any rich person do all kinds of crazy stuff and nobody says boo, but let a, let a pastor of a fairly large church do, you know, buy a car, God forbid, that's expensive. And the world's like, oh my goodness, look at this horrible sinner. Why? Because the world through 2000 years of testimony has said Christians are different. So even the world acknowledges that. Now they like to judge Christians for judging people weird but anyway they like to judge christians but at the same time even in their judgment they're agreeing with the water that when somebody comes in contact with jesus they are radically different they look different they talk different they dress different they spend their money differently <laughs> they do different things than other people do they live differently they they are married differently their sex lives are different they they, they expect if the world the world expects that the world expects Christians to have different sex lives, different drinking habits. 
right? And if, and, and, and if you don't, then they think it's weird. So that's because they have 2,000 years of testimony, not only on this continent, but on every continent of the globe. Christians have, have given their lives to Christ and they have looked radically different. And that's the testimony of the water, that he will wash you and he will clean you and he will purify you and you will not be the same after you have walked with him. <laughs> so that's the testimony of the water. If you want that one, that's on a podcast from last week. But this week, I want to talk about the testimony of the blood and I'm going to have to cut it short. I don't even have a clock back there, so I guess I might not cut it short. This might this will be a marathon sermon like last Sunday. The clock wasn't working in the back, so I just keep going. I don't know what time it is. I mean, I, who knows? Are the, are the lions about to play or not? I don't know. I mean, we're just, we'll just keep going here. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> let's, let's jump into what the, what, what, what the blood says, and, and uh, to help explain some of this, let's look at Luke chapter 8. So the first time that I really see the blood testifying to Jesus in his ministry, is in Luke chapter 8, which Luke, by the way, uh, was a physician. So Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, he wrote it as a, t- as, a, uh, as a testimony to the Apostle Paul um, to help explain why he was so radically changed, why Paul was doing what he was doing. But he wrote the Gospel of Luke from a physician's perspective. So you get a lot of kind of medical data in Luke's Gospel. The first one is in Luke chapter 8, the first one I want to point out. It says, as Jesus went with him, he's going with a certain man, that he was surrounded by the crowds. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. So the first message that I want to tell you, the blood is testifying about Jesus right here. Now, it's not Jesus' blood that's testifying. It's this woman's blood, because that is actually the way it works in our life. (laughs) Our blood, or our bleeding testifies to the fact that we need Jesus. So the first thing that the, that the blood would say, and I don't know, last week I had a, I had a chair that kind of helped me, because you always bring the witness to a, to a witness stand. So let's just have the witness right here. Um, the first thing that the blood is going to say is that Jesus is the remedy. Jesus is the remedy. After 12 years of this woman trying so many different remedies, so many different cures, going to so many different doctors, of which Luke is one of those doctors, perhaps, that she went to. At least he was practicing and would have known the doctors. Like she had spent all that she had in another gospel. It says that she spent all of her money and she didn't get better. Instead, she got worse. She continued bleeding. And it is that blood that is, that is proceeding from her. And we don't know from where. We don't know exactly why she's bleeding. Luke doesn't describe this. They don't describe the condition. Uh, some people, uh, some uh, theologians have, have thought that it was like a menstrual type bleeding, um, but that doesn't always make sense. The, 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 the bottom line is there's some, you're not supposed to be bleeding outside of your body. Blood is supposed to stay in here. And anytime blood is coming out of here, there's some kind of wound that is not healing. She could have been wounded by a Roman soldier because that was going on quite frequently. She could have been wounded in her work in the field. She could have been wounded, uh, just medically speaking, she had an issue where uh, the blood wouldn't clot, her blood's too thin, and so she has one wound and it just continues for 12 years. We don't really know what happened except that the blood was constantly speaking. That every day when she woke up for 12 years, the blood was saying, you're in trouble. The blood was saying, this is not going well. The blood was saying, uh, you're sick. The blood was saying, you're going to die. 
The blood was saying, this is not going good. The blood was saying, you might not be here to see your kids get married. The blood was saying, you're not, you don't have the strength because what happens as you continually lose blood, you're losing all the, all the strength that comes with blood. So the blood was saying, you're weaker today than you were yesterday. The blood was saying you're going to continue to get weaker. And so every time she would go to a different doctor, they would prescribe some kind of cure. And usually their cures had something to do with like smoking this or meditating on that or carrying. Uh, one, one, one possible cure was like you get some, I don't know, cow dung or something and something else and you carry that around in a basket and that's supposed to do something. Uh, I don't know, Jana, you might have some uh, interesting thoughts about it. maybe that does something I don't know but it wasn't working let's just let's put it that way like uh, it, it just it wasn't working and, and man as, 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 I, as I look at her like the her blood was constantly accusing her constantly reminding her of her woundedness constantly reminding her of her weakness and it was her weakness and her woundedness that drove her to Jesus it was her wounded and weakness that made her realize perhaps Jesus is the remedy that I've been seeking. And for 12 years, though, she wasn't seeking Jesus. For 12 years, she was seeking other remedies. And so uh, before I came today, I went to our pantry and I said, man, this is, why, this, this is where the Band-Aids went, honey. Uh, because this is what we do, right? For like 12 years or I don't know, sometimes 41 years, we spend a lot of time just working on our, our woundedness, trying to bandage it, right? Trying to cover it. And so I just, I don't know, I got a bunch of Band-Aids here. Um, we try to cover it, hey, with social media. There we go. These, these, these are my notes. We try to bandage the wound with social media, right? Because if we can get enough people to like our post and if we can see who likes our... I, like we, there are folks that I've known uh, in this church, they check who likes their post. And they're like, oh, Pastor Harry didn't like my post. I don't know. Is something wrong with Pastor Harry? Rowena didn't like my post. Like, it's like, we're not on Facebook today. What did you know? But it's just interesting because if you're trying to cover up your insecurities with social media, you can, you, you can do it. And there's actually endorphins that, 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 will, that will spike in your, in your brain whenever your phone goes ding, ding, ding. Whenever people like, whenever they're clicking like or clicking share or clicking comments of, yes, that's true. Yes, that's wonderful. Like, that's why people post things like um like i don't know what, what, what like they, they're like do i have any friends out there this is you know comment if you're if you're my friend and i'm like well i am your friend or i wouldn't be seeing this right now and no i'm not going to comment and just say i'm your friend i'm like yes we're friends on facebook all right but anyway it's we're, we're constantly looking and we're, we're covering up woundedness and you can do that for a while if you have a deep cut you can put a band-aid on it I, yeah, some of, you, some of you all have done that. You put some Band-Aids on. And it, it helps. It helps you look good anyway. You don't feel any better. But over time, if it's deep enough and if it keeps bleeding, guess what? That bandage, that Band-Aid is going to start looking a little bit brown, a little bit red, a little bit nasty, soggy. And, and it's gonna, the blood's going to start seeping through. And it's going to start seeping through, so you're going to have to turn to something else. We have sex here. That's a very common one in our culture. Uh, let's clear my head. Let's feel better. And, and it doesn't. Uh, religion. Hey, here we go. Here's the band-aid of religion. I just need to get some church in me. I need to get the Bible. I need to listen to some Christian music so I feel better today. And it does help you feel better. Absolutely. Uplifting music over the crap you've been listening to. Yeah, sure. That's going to be a lot better. Uh, but no, this is, this, like, this is just a band-aid. Going to church is just a band-aid. 
listening to Christian music is, is just a band-aid. It's just a way that we try to cover our woundedness. But the blood keeps speaking. You're weaker today than you were yesterday. The blood keeps speaking. You're still wounded. The blood keeps speaking. You haven't healed from this. The blood keeps speaking. You're not going to be around much longer. This is going to take you out. The blood keeps telling you that you have a problem that has not been healed. Because no matter how many band-aids you put on yourself, if you don't stop the bleeding... This is the issue. You can, I mean, hey, here's a band-aid, busyness. We like to wrap ourselves in busyness so that our calendar is always, always full. We don't have any spare time to think about the bleeding so that we don't have any quiet space to dwell on the bleeding. And so whatever we're doing, we're always doing something. And so we grab our phones, even if we're not doing anything. We'll just grab here and uh, face me on, on Boggle. I'm, I'm always playing Boggle. You know, just stupid stuff. We fill our days with stupid stuff because we have to stay busy. Ro, a while back, I was teasing her. She had that, what's that, that app, the farming, the farming app? Like, we literally live on a farm literally we have actual chickens to take care of and she's taking care of fake chickens on her phone and her and Manon got into it and they were like they're like oh I gotta check and see if the chickens are I'm like you get the the real chickens actual heartbeats are outside like what are you talking about like you need one more thing like let's just throw something else on there like what in the world anyway she found it fun for a while then she got really annoyed by it and I was I was supportive of that I was, I'm annoyed just by the actual farm. We don't need more farms in our lives. My goodness, can we get rid of chickens? Can we find a way to, I don't know, get rid of some horses, something? But no, uh, it, <laughs> I mean, alcohol is another Band-Aid. It's something that we put on when we're not feeling good so that we feel worse. That's brilliant. Do that, a depressant. Let's do that when you're uh, depressed. Sure, drink a lot of that. You'll, you'll be wonderful. But no, it, it, it takes away the, the pain for a while, but it doesn't actually deal with the bleeding, right? And you can dive into a career which will take away the pain but won't deal with the bleeding. You can be super successful in your career and have lots of people think that you're awesome, but if you still don't believe that you are who God says you are, that bleeding is still gonna come through. And you're not going to be able to appreciate any of the compliments. You're not going to be able to appreciate any of the accolades because it's never going to be enough because somebody's going to be greater than you, better than you, wearing a nicer suit than you, driving a better car than you. And your woundedness is going to come out and your envy is going to come out and your anger is going to come out and you're going to be, you're going to be unhappy because you haven't dealt with the bleeding. You've covered it up. You've patched it up. You've jumped into a career. You jumped into a relationship, hoping that that relationship would cover up your insecurities. You had kids. People have kids because they're lonely. Bad idea. Really bad idea. <laughs> Horrible idea. It's just because... The, I don't know if you had a six-month-old, but they're not like your best friend. Like, I don't change my best friend's diapers. I don't know about you. I don't have to wake to keep up with them at night and I hear them crying all the time. I mean, no, but we, we try to patch ourselves with what we think is next or should be next. Right? There's a particular path in our life, whether it's a career or a relationship, but we grab, we grab that band-aid and maybe that will stop the, the bleeding, but it doesn't. The bleeding keeps coming through. But the blood is not all bad. Because the blood is actually the thing that told her, you need Jesus. So actually, the persistent 
lack of contentment, the persistent lack of actual healing is God's way of oftentimes bringing us to him. Because if your career would have satisfied, you would have stuck with it. Like if the band-aid would have worked, then, 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 then you would have just went with that. If, 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 I mean, if band-aids worked, like hospitals wouldn't be in business. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if like, but, but we have doctors for a reason. We have surgeons for a reason because there's some things that band-aids cannot do. And so what happens is Jesus is the great physician. He's the great doctor. And so he, he stays in business because of our bleeding. And I think, I, I think we often don't think of it like that. You know, there's that, there's that saying, which I have, uh, for up on the screen, Madison, we have up on the screen, I'm sure whatever you guys are talking about it's really interesting but uh <laughs> called you out uh no like I've, i don't know i don't know if you see this on facebook but he says he says if you don't heal from what hurt you you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you you know and it's and there's not really i don't know it's, it's unknown we don't know who says that but the concept is nobody wants to get bled on like that's the concept it, like well you better heal from what hurt you or else you're going to bleed on other people and so that's where I kind of have an adjustment to this. And if you go to the next slide, I would say that that may be true of people, but the truth is you can bleed on Jesus. Jesus didn't turn away from her. Jesus didn't say, who touched me? Wait a minute. Wait, who's bleeding on me? <laughs> six feet, lady, six feet, six feet, six feet. Because she's unclean, literally. Rose asked me the other day, would Jesus quarantine? And I'm like, well, I, I mean, he literally touched lepers, so I don't know. I, like, I'm not going to wade into that water because Jesus happened to be okay with human suffering. He happened to believe that he could walk into a room and change the atmosphere of that room, that he would not be changed by her blood, but that she would be changed by his blood that her bleeding wasn't going to rub off somehow on him, but that her bleeding would stop when she came into contact with him. And this is what our blood says. Our blood says Jesus is the remedy. He is the cure for this constant uh, loss of, of, of strength, this constant loss of, of, of purpose, this constant loss of integrity. He is the cure for all of that. He's the cure for what I've been trying to cover up with so many things. And when I have him, that's why I don't need any of those things. And so the church will, will talk against, speak out against alcoholism, and they'll speak out against drug use, and they'll speak out against all of those things. But the, 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 the reason for that is because what we're talking about, if you have Jesus, you literally don't want those things. You literally don't need those things. Because all of those things are band-aids to try to cover up what's really going on. But when you touch Jesus, it said when she touched the hem of his garment, her bleeding stopped. Not her bandages started working, her bleeding stopped. And it, and it ended, the source at the root of it, at the source of it, it stopped. After 12 years, she felt in her body, and I don't know how that works, but she felt that it had stopped, that the source had stopped so she could pull back the bandage so she could rip off so so she could actually lose her job and be okay because that bandage comes off and oh I'm still okay 
She could lose that relationship and be okay. It kind of hurts when you rip it off because there's skin and everything and hair and stuff. But it, if you get some baby oil in there, it helps a little bit. You know, just <laughs> rip it off. She she could she 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 could lose her health and be okay. She could lose her 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 social standing, right? She could get blocked on Facebook. I don't know. She could get people who don't like what she stands for and says, and she'll be okay. It's it, it why because you pull the bandaid off, and if there's healing there, you don't need the bandaid anymore. You say, oh well, that's fine. I'm fine with that. I'm I'm okay with that because I know inside. I don't have to be busy. I can take a day off. I can rest. I can sit alone with my thoughts and I'm okay. <laughs> Not because I'm like, I am okay, but no, because I have touched the hem of his garment. I have come into contact with somebody who healed me on the inside. And now these other things, some of them aren't even that bad, right? Religion, going to church, nothing wrong with that. Uh, watching church from home, nothing wrong with that. Good things. I can enjoy them. My, my, my family, my kids, I can enjoy them. I don't rely on them. I can enjoy them. I don't, I don't need them. I can enjoy them. I can raise them up. I can input into them. I can send them out. I can, I can watch them grow and not long for the days when they were little, <laughs> even though those days were fun. But man, I can enjoy right now because I'm not afraid of them leaving because I don't need them, right? And, and, and I can enter in my marriage, I can enter into actual conversations because I'm not afraid of that person because I don't, I, I don't need that person. I need Jesus and I have Jesus. So I can enter into discussion with my, with my marriage and when she says something, I don't freak out <laughs> or if she doesn't say what I think she ought to say, I don't freak out because there's not as much writing on it. I strongly desire my marriage. I strongly love my wife, but at the end of the day, I enjoy her. She's a gift from God to me and I should steward her well and I should treat her well, just like my kids. And I should love her well. But at the end of the day, I need God. Because one car, she's one car accident away from going away. Right? And she won't necessarily always be there. I might not always be there. I can't make that covenant with my kids, with my wife, with anybody, with you all. I won't always be here. So I don't want you to fall in love with me. I don't want you to say, yes, Harry's preaching. That's why I'm going to City Chapel. Well, okay. But no, are, do, have you touched the hem of his garment? Have you connected with him? Because if all you do is connect with me or my family or, or this, this, this body and people here, I mean, they're lovely people. I'm pretty cool. All that's great. <laughs> But connecting with Jesus is what transforms you. I, I have friends that, that are not transformed because connecting with me doesn't transform you, but connecting with God. And so he is the remedy. This is the message of the blood. The blood says that he is the remedy. And we see this again in the garden of Gethsemane. We see the blood testifying. And this is, this is where I want to we want to finish the sermon. This is the last, the last thing. Jesus is uh, not only, he's the remedy, yes, but he's also the, the remover. And so this one's a little bit deeper. So you have to go with me, all right? You have to go with me to the garden. Uh, Luke 22, again, Luke, uh, the physician, telling us something physical about Jesus. As he's praying in the garden, it says, now this is the garden, this is the night before he's um, going to die on the cross. He's about to be betrayed by Judas actually in this garden. They're going to come get him. And he knows this. 
And so he, he walks away about a stone's throw away from his disciples and he kneels down and praying. And this is his prayer. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, he says, I want your will to be done, not mine. That's a powerful prayer. And then I skipped verse 43 just to get to verse 42 because this is what I want to focus on. Or verse 44. Verse 44, he says, he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. And when he saw the blood, he stood up again and returned to the disciples. So go with me. I think the blood is talking to Jesus. I think the blood is talking to us. Now he's sweating, like perspiration, and blood is coming from his perspiration, running down his face and dropping to the ground. Now, once again, I'm not a physician. So uh, as, as I read though different commentaries, they, they, they believe that they know what is happening in his body at this point. And, and sort of the, uh, the evidence is from John's gospel on the cross. If we go to John 19, John tells us that uh, when Jesus was, had been crucified and he'd already died, the soldiers came around to make sure everyone was dead. When they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs like they did to the other thieves. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. Now look at this verse 35. This is from John writing this in parentheses. He puts it in parentheses. He says, this report is from an eyewitness. It's himself. He's like, so let me tell you, this is, so one, this is like the fourth witness, I guess, is John. John says, look, this, is, this report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you may also continue to believe. So he, John sees something incredibly significant about this piercing of the side of Jesus, so much so that he says, look, for real, I was there. I'm telling you this happened, and I'm telling you this so that you will continue to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Why is the spear going into his side, blood and water coming out, evidence that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, because when he pierced the spear, he stuck it up toward his heart, under, under his rib cavity, and, and tried to uh, shove it up into his heart, and blood and water came out. So if water comes out, that's most uh, scholars believe that's because there's a sack of water around his heart. And the only reason why there'd be a sack of water around your heart is if your heart had ruptured in some way. And so most point to the Garden of Gethsemane that we just read from Luke chapter 22, where he says that Jesus is sweating drops of blood. And they say, okay, if your heart would rupture, if you're under so much duress and so much stress and so much pressure that your heart literally ruptures, that's going to start splurting blood just into your body, into the cavity of your, like it's not supposed to just be floating around there, okay? And, but it, it's going to rupture because your heart is the muscle that pumps blood throughout your entire body. And so if it's ruptured at all, it's going to start splurting blood just into uh, your, just the cavity of your, of your internal organs which means blood's going to make its way out to your sweat glands and going to start coming out of your sweat. And so based on John's account of water coming from like a, a sack near Jesus's heart and based on Luke's account of sweat uh, becoming drops of blood on his head, it seems that in the garden before Jesus was ever crucified, that he was under so much stress, under so much pressure and praying so fervently that his heart literally ruptured in some way. Which means that while Jesus did in fact die on the cross and died from crucifixion, he was actually nearly dead before crucifixion. And what actually was taking Jesus out was a broken heart. 
Now, 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 now I know there's, there's no description in the Bible of, in Luke 22 as to what Jesus is thinking in the garden, except he's, he's thinking about the Father's will and his will. We know that. But it seems that he says, let this cup pass from me, this cup of suffering pass from me. And so this is where I believe the blood is speaking something. The blood in Jesus' sweat is telling Jesus, one, that his heart has ruptured. However, his heart is ruptured before a single uh, lash of the cat of nine tails, before he was beaten by uh, the, the guards, before he had the thorns pressed, uh, hammered onto his skull, before he was nailed uh, to a wooden structure and raised up to suffocate uh, to death, before any of the great suffering, his heart ruptures. Now, why would your heart rupture before all of the suffering. I can understand, I guess, during the suffering, in the midst of such suffering, but it was actually before the suffering. And I believe it's because Jesus wasn't just physically suffering. Jesus wasn't just uh, being whipped with cat of nine tails 39 times, 40 times would kill you. He wasn't just being drugged and, and, and hanged on a, on, on, on a wooden structure. He, it, like the, there's the physical side of it, but in the garden we see the spiritual side of it that he was the Lamb of God and the Lamb of God would take on himself the sins of the entire world. And so I believe in the garden, he's, he's receiving the weight of your sin and of my sin. And this is, what, this is what the Spirit prophesied about through Isaiah 53. If we could go there, I think it's verse 4. I mean, the whole chapter is prophetic of Jesus, but uh, verse 4 is, is interesting. He says, Surely he, Jesus, has borne or carried our griefs. <laughs> like in one moment, Jesus took your grief, my grief, your, like the, entire, the grief of the entire world, every loss, Every tragedy, every, every bit of unfairness in our life, every uh, thing that shouldn't be, and every weight of that. And anyone who's gone through heavy grief, the waves of those griefs, at the highest point, he took your, the, your highest wave and your highest wave and my highest wave, and, 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 and he took it all upon himself. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is part of, I think, what caused Jesus' heart to rupture because he was taking on the grief and the sorrow, not only of the entire world at his point in time, but the entire world of all time. Because he was, this is by the eternal spirit that he was offered up, Hebrews says. So it wasn't just a time-sensitive thing. So that you and I could cast, what Scripture says, cast our cares, our burdens, our sorrows on him because he took them all. In the garden, he took our grief. He took our depression. He took our anxiety. He took all of that upon himself. He took all that fear. He took all the anxiousness of what's going to happen tomorrow and, and, and what's, what, what's going to become of me and how am I going to get through this? He took all of that on his shoulders. And the pressure from that, the pressure not only from that, it says that we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but actually he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement that would bring us peace was laid upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's sin. 
We've all sinned. We've all turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord laid on his son the iniquity of us all. So not only did Jesus take our sorrows and our grief, but he also took our sin. And iniquity is more than just the actions, although he took that as well. The iniquity has to do with the internal part of our sin, the, the reason why we did the things we did. And as the Lamb of God, he received all of that on himself. Not to die like in a substitutionary way, but rather to remove it from us. So he's not only the great remedy, he's the great remover. He's, he's the great remover of grief. He's the great remover of sorrow. He's the great remover of sin. He's the great remover of iniquity. And right then and there, he took it upon himself so that he could bear it in his own body. Scripture says in his own body, he could carry it to the tree or to the cross. And there they would kill his body. And thus, when they killed his body, they killed our grief. They killed our sorrow. They killed our sin and they killed our iniquity. Everything that he had taken upon himself, he took to the cross and there he killed it. So that when his blood poured out in that place, it was the death, yes, of the son of God, but also the death of our sorrow. Does that mean we're never gonna be sorrowful? No, but you never have to stay sorrowful. Does it mean you're never going to experience sin? No, but you don't have to stay sinful. Like you don't have to stay there. You can, you can, you can be there and he'll take you right where you're at with all of your blood just gushing out. He'll, he'll take you right there, but then he'll change you. And so you don't have to stay sinful. You don't have to stay bloody. I have to be careful because we got people from New Zealand watching, so we can't talk about a bloody savior. That's not acceptable. Uh, <laughs> That's cussing, exactly. So he's more of a blood-stained savior. That, that works. He'll take, he'll, he'll, <laughs> he'll take you at your bloody worst. And uh, I can say it in Texas, sorry. He'll take you at all, all your mess, all your blood, all your woundedness. And he'll, he'll, he'll change it though, because he took those, the, all the stuff, he took your shame on himself. He took your regret on himself. He took your sorrow on himself. He took your grief on himself. He's the great remover because, well, he's the great receiver. I mean, and, and so this is, this is the, the message of the blood. The blood says, hey, if you're carrying guilt, if you're carrying shame, if you're carrying sorrow, if you're carrying grief, if you're carrying sin, if you're carrying iniquity, you don't have to carry it anymore. <laughs> That's the message of the blood. The blood says you can put it on him because he's already taken it for you. He's already gone through the weight and the struggle of it. He's already bared the brunt of those waves of grief upon himself, so much so that his heart ruptured inside of him. And he died, yes, of crucifixion, but actually of a broken heart because he took all of our blood, all of our stuff on himself. And when his blood ran down the cross, it was a signal of the death of death. It was a signal of the death of defeat and the death of sin and the death of iniquity and the death of sorrow and the death of grief. Because it was dead. It was on his body and it was dead. It was crucified. <laughs> Which is why that blood in Hebrews, uh, I think we have that passage, one last passage, Hebrews 12, says that that blood, the blood of Jesus, speaks a better word for us. <laughs> because all of our blood is always condemning us. 
All of our blood is telling us that there is no hope. All of our blood is telling us that we haven't found a cure. But the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Our blood condemns us. Uh, in, in Hebrews, it says it's better word than that of Abel. Abel is the first guy to ever be murdered in Scripture. And that's why, that's why he's mentioning Abel, because uh, when God confronted the murderer of Abel, which is his older brother, Cain, Cain denied it, uh, as usual, you know, it's usually what you do. You just deny everything, make counter accusations. So he denied it. And instead of God saying, hey, Cain, uh, I saw you do it. Instead of God saying, no, I have the videotape right here and hitting play, right? It was in field number 42 in the, the southwest corner. Like instead of God bringing absolute proof, God said something kind of weird. He said, but your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. It's weird, you know, it's weird to me when I read that passage. I'm like, so blood is speaking. Blood is testifying. (laughs) Absolutely. It's on the prosecution side. It's testifying in prosecution of Cain, saying Cain is guilty. And this is the message of the blood of Abel, that all mankind is guilty. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the blood of Jesus is different. The blood of Jesus says, the blood of Jesus doesn't stand in the prosecution. The blood of Jesus stands in the defense. And it says, yes, they did do all of those things. But I have taken away their sin. I have taken away their grief. I have taken away their sorrow. Yeah, they have great reason to be full of grief and to be full of sorrow, but I've taken away the sorrow. Yeah, they were bleeding on everybody for 12 years, for 30 years, for 25 years. They were bleeding on every relationship. Every single person had to put up with their mess, but I took it. I took away the source of the bleeding. And so it is true. They've hurt that person. They've hurt that person. They've, they've, they've betrayed that person. Yes, they've done those things, but I've taken it away. And so he stands in our defense and he says, look, he's not, he's not denying what has happened, but he is showing that he is the, the remover. He's the one who takes it away by his blood. And so his blood does a deeper cleansing. It's so cool to me, the three witnesses, you have a progression there. You have the spirit, which kind of brings us into salvation. You have the water that brings us into community and cleansing. Then you have the blood that brings us into assurance and serving, honestly. Because it was in, it was in the garden that, it, like, 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 don't get the wrong picture. God's not mad at Jesus. God's not mad at his son. He's not punishing him because he's so mad he has to punish somebody. That's what pagan gods did. Pagan gods demanded human sacrifice because they were so angry, they had to take it out on somebody. So they're like, all right, here's an innocent person. Take it out on him. That's pagan version of atonement. But the biblical version of atonement is that God so loved the world. He's not coming from a place of anger. He's coming from a place of love. He doesn't, he's not an angry God who needs to be appeased. He's a loving God who needs to remove the thing that's keeping people away from him. So this is the great difference. And so even in Isaiah, we don't have it up there, but in Isaiah 53, it says that the father will see the son's suffering and be pleased with it. He's not mad at Jesus, not taking it out on him. He's pleased. He's like, man, my son is doing such an awesome thing right now. Like he is, he is removing the barrier that stood between God and man. And so he's pleased by that. He's, he's, he's loving that. Like the, the father, you know, some people say that the father, God turned his face away from his son while he was on the cross. 
I don't think so. Why would you turn your face away from someone you're so proud of? He was so proud of his son because his son was suffering on behalf of everybody else. And in the same way, God doesn't turn his face when you're suffering on behalf of other people. He's proud of the church in Afghanistan who's suffering for the truth. He's proud of missionaries who lay down their lives and go to other countries. He's proud of, of you when you take of your, of, of your finances and, and give it away freely. He's, 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 not, he's, like, he's, he's, not, he's not against that. This isn't punishment. Well, you're just a bad person. You got to do your... No, he was, he's proud of you when you lay down your life for others. And so the blood speaks to the deeper cleansing work of God, of Calvary, but also the reassurance of that salvation. And then, honestly, the sacrifice that comes with knowing Jesus. That we could all get to the place where Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. That's, that's the goal of prayer. That's the goal of prayer, that you, that you pray until something in here breaks. <laughs> something pops in here. And I don't mean break, like you break your heart, like you're so sad, but I, I mean, y- your stubbornness breaks. <laughs> your, I'm, th- 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 those people need to pay me back because they shouldn't have said that. Like that breaks. Well, like, yeah, I'm right. She's wrong. <laughs> that's, not, that's not from personal experience at all. Um, that's just other people's marriages, I'm sure. But there's something that breaks. And you're like, wait a minute. No, no, no. I have a will, I have a plan, but God has something else. And he's revealing that to me. And you, 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 you die in the garden long before you die on the cross. You, you lay down, you, it starts, death to flesh starts in prayer, in private, in secret, nobody's watching. And then when people are watching, the, 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 the fuller death is revealed, but the actual, the decision is already made in the garden. It's done. It's settled. He settles it. So, Father, I pray right now that you would do such a work inside of us, that you would do such a work inside of us that we would settle right now within our heart who you are and who we are to you. Father, we, we, perhaps we've been bandaging ourselves up Perhaps you've got some of these band-aids and you, it's been, it's, you've got a few of them maybe. And you've been trying to patch, do a patch job when you actually just need a, a healing. I would encourage you, reach out to Jesus right now. Just say, Jesus, I need healed. <laughs> Whatever it might be from. It might be from sin. It might be from an addiction. It might be from something that you're carrying that he already carried for you. And it's not to say that we're not going to carry things, but we don't have to carry them for long. We can turn them over to Jesus. We can say, Jesus, this is too heavy for me. This is too much for me. And I believe, this is the key, that we believe the witness that he actually carried it. Do you believe that he carried your sin? Do you believe that he already carried it? Do you believe that he already carried your sorrow? Do you believe that? Can you put your faith in him? Because the blood is testifying. The blood is speaking. Can you believe that he took your shame? Took it himself, felt it himself, carried it himself, and then killed it himself. Can you release it? Father, we release right now 
all of what we're carrying that is not from you. Show us anything that we're carrying, any emotion that we're carrying that's not from you, any belief that we're carrying that's not from you, certainly any sin that we continue to carry, any grief that we continue to carry that's not from you. Show us what you want us to lay down (laughs) at the foot of the cross. Because you carried it. You carried it all the way there. And then it was finished. It was done. It was settled. (laughs) And the blood speaks freedom for us. The blood speaks lightness for us. The blood speaks purpose for us. The blood speaks joy. (laughs) The The blood speaks a better word than that of Abel. It is not condemning. It is not guilt ridden. It is freedom. It is newness of life. It is transformation. It is a new, a clean slate. It is a fresh beginning. It is old things passing away and all things becoming new. This is the message of the blood. The blood stands up in defense of Jesus, but also in our defense. Because actually how we judge God how we judge Jesus is actually how we're going to judge ourselves. Because the same accuser that will accuse him to us will accuse us to him. And so, Lord, we turn away from these accusing thoughts and we judge you as faithful. We judge you as good. You've carried our sicknesses and our diseases. That too. What sickness are you carrying? What disease are you putting up with? What cancer are you putting up with? If he, if he dealt with it, if it's by his stripes that we are healed, then he took our sorrow, but he also took our sickness. Why are you carrying that? Why are you carrying those allergies? Why are you okay with that? I mean, you can carry if you want, but you don't have to. <laughs> There's freedom for you. There's healing for you. You don't have to carry that stomach virus. You don't have to carry that bug. You don't have to carry that cold. You don't have to carry COVID-19. You don't have to carry. You can lay it down at the foot of the cross (laughs) and he'll take it. Especially if you end that prayer with nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. (laughs) Lord, we surrender to your will and everything We believe that you desire for us to be whole and healed and free and joyful and serving others and laying down our lives so that others might also come into relationship with you. So Lord, lead us into that place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Anybody thankful for the blood today? Yeah, I'm thankful for the blood. Amen. Cool. So um, uh, we'll see you perhaps Friday night, watching a movie, hanging out uh, at some apartments. If not, we'll see you next Sunday. Uh, have a great week. Be safe. Stay cool. I think it's supposed to cool down at some point this week. Wednesday. All right. It's coming. It may feel like Sunday, but Wednesday's on its way. Uh, <laughs> it may feel like Sunday night. All right. You're dismissed. You can, you can move about the cabin. You can roam around. You can shake hands with people, whatever. God bless you. <laughs>